0: Okay, for our second message, it will be brought to us by Mr. Steve Andrews. It is entitled, The Patriarch David. I asked myself where, where to start uh, with a subject like the Patriarch David, and uh, I decided to start where Ken started. <laughs> Uh, you wonder sometimes uh, how messages work out? We never talked to each other i didn 't have the strongest idea what he was um, going to say today didn 't even know the title until after I came to, to church and pulled the um, bulletin out and looked at it and still didn 't know exactly where he was going with that one so it 's interesting how that um, God shows us uh, that he wants certain things preached and wants certain directions and um, I've been thinking about this for quite a long time, the message I given on uh, Samuel and, and Saul, and uh, the um, I'll skip the one on um, I, I may go back to it later, the one on Saul and David. But I wanted to cover on um, the patriarch David, because he's so much a part of what um, from the time that he came on the scene. And all the way through the scriptures from there on, how he has had a part in what, even into the future, into the kingdom of God. Um, and, um, and so consequently, where I wanted to start was essentially where Ken started because the patriarch David looks to the ancestor Jesus, the ancestor Jesus Christ, you know, And it's interesting how sometimes God works things out. How... By the way, I I wrote this down. He was born in 1085 B.C. Jesus came on the scene um, almost to the end of that period, a thousand years later. thousand and eighty-five years later, maybe that was about right. Somewhere around in there, a thousand years later. And yet... He was able to, to work these things out, to bring this lineage down through. And considering all the, one, all the things that have gone and, and, and that, what has happened down through that lineage, it's very inspiring and very interesting because it, it, it shows you that there's a, there's a tremendous power working things out on this earth. And so to look at the, so let's start, let's start in Acts, the second chapter, and read a few of the same scriptures that that um, Ken wrote, read, so that we have this background, and then we'll, we'll get into to more of a historical perspective of David, and some of the things that I, I want to bring out today. So, beginning in verse um, 25, and actually we'll go all the way through to verse 30, um, and read but I have some, uh, some additional verses too to add to that. For David speaks concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not meet, be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice. My tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because you will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You make me full of joy with your countenance. And of course, if you want to look that up, that comes right out of Psalms 16, 8 through 11. I'm not going to go back there and and read that, but that comes right out of that psalm. And to emphasize the same thing that, that, that Ken did. Men and brethren, verse 29, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. That he is dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us to this day. And so, if you're interested in the Old Testament uh, verse that comes out of 1 Kings, the second chapter and verse 10, I won't go to that one, but I will turn to Acts, the 13th chapter and verse 36, and we'll look at that just very quickly here. And I don't know if I gave that to to um, to Brian, but I was as I was doing some work and preparing for this, I, I kept finding. By the way, if you want to do a long study, and that is a long study, you can look up the word David in any concordance and um, crudence concordance or strongs or, or esord, and you will find a, a never-ending supply of study material for David because it's very interesting and very profound. And, um, and just like Jesus, there's many things about David. Verse 36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep, was laid unto his fathers, and saw corruption. So, he's dead. And uh, it's interesting, um, Peter said his sepulcher was with them at that time. And I wonder if one day they might find those kings' sepulchres somewhere. I think it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? If they haven't already found them and, and hiding it or something, I don't know. Anyway, in verse 30, Therefore being a prophet... Back to Acts, the second chapter, verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. See how important that promise was? And it was fulfilled. Seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not to be left in hell, neither his flesh to, to see corruption. That was fulfilled as Christ was resurrected. Let's look at Psalms 130, and then we'll come back to the New Testament. Actually, uh, and I have another one too, that I didn't give to um, um, Brian. I so we'll do that one, but Psalm 130 and verse 11, just oops, I don't think that's going to work. Let's try something else let's go to Luke the first chapter we'll go back I must have wrote that one down wrong <laughs> it must have been dark when I was doing that or it was, I was I thought I was uh, doing that one in my sleep um, Luke 1 verse 32 he shall be great we know that um, this is I'm picking this up right in the middle But um, the angel uh, said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In verse 30 uh, of Luke 1. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Connections are there. The patriarch, David, and the connection to Christ connection to Christ. Verse 69. Again. 68, 69. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Talking again about Jesus. Blessed be the God of Israel. Verse 68. For he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Okay, Romans, you're very familiar with this one. Romans, the first chapter. Verse 3. Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared, verse 4, to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of from the dead. David is still in. Well he's all bones. But he's, <laughs> he's still dead. But Jesus sits at the right hand of the father. In heaven. The importance of the lineage. Bringing it down to Christ. Now, David. And Christ. Second Timothy. Uh, hope I got this one right. I think I do. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 8. I didn't bring my glasses, so I'll have to get in here. (laughs) Remember, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Remember that Paul was very adamant about the resurrection. And the adamant was that if Christ was not raised, then we're still in our sins and we have no hope. But all the way through, he ties these things in. And especially, Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And I ha- let's go to, back to Acts, the 13th chapter. And let's see if, if I have something here that, um, yes. This is kind of a little short historical perspective. And after, and uh, let's see, verse 20. And after that he gave them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet, afterward they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and says, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And it's interesting about David, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, the lineage of Christ—everyone is familiar with this. But let's turn to Matthew, the first chapter. Let's look at this real quickly. It's a royal lineage. Um, Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6. Salmon begat Boaz of uh, um, Rachel. Uh, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. And then verse 6. Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. So, um, and of course that lineage then goes down into Christ. So we see that. We see that tie in there and one of the things that's very interesting and we'll turn to Matthew the second chapter here as these um, magi came to visit the young child and they may have been Parthians instead of uh, just magi or anything they may have been coming because they knew that Christ was the chosen one the king to come and they came to worship him And they came and brought precious gifts that were um, meat for a king. Those gifts were meat for a king. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men. This is chapter 2 of Matthew, beginning of verse 1 and going through, I think we've got up through verse 12. Uh, Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ, and of course at that, you know, this, this would be Messiah, the Messiah, should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, and land of Judah, are not least among the princes of Judah, for out of you shall come a governor that shall rule my people. And you can look that up. I didn't look that particular um, uh, one up as to where that came Uh, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. When they had found him, uh, bring me word, and I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was." And when they saw the star, star, they rejoiced in exceedingly great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child. Now, this was not a baby. This was a young child. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. Very expensive, very precious gifts at that particular time. And, of course, being warned of God... In a dream, they shouldn't return to Herod. They departed on their own uh, to their own country another way. And of course, Herod was terribly mad and upset, and he went and killed all the little children in that area. And uh, there was weeping uh, and moaning for, for those children. So let's, uh, let's got, got one more uh, all the way into the Book of Revelation, Revelation 22. Verse 16. Jesus himself. At the end. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you. These things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring in David. And the bright and morning star. See how important. Being the root and offspring of David. Okay. Because. It is such a long study, and there's so many um, chapters and verses and all kinds of things uh, to go to uh, to study David and to really gain a lot from it. I, I went in here and I picked up Smith's Bible handbook, uh, the, the dictionary part of it, and, um, see, uh, and I'm going to go in here and hopefully I can get this to work. It should be B-A-V-I-D. Search. David, the son of Jesse, his life may be divided into three portions. His youth before his introduction in the court of Saul, his relation to, with Saul, and his reign. The early life of David contains, in many important aspects, respects the antecedents of his future career. It appears that David was the youngest son, probably the youngest child of a family of 10 and was born in Bethlehem in B.C. 1085. Now, when we, when we start studying about a, a time period and a particular individual and the things that went on in that time period and the individuals that lived in that time period, we have a tendency to put them in our, in our time frame and that doesn't work. Because the things that I'm going to talk about, about David, about his, his reign, and the different things that happened during his time, even though the sins might are still part of our own society, the various cultures, the various ideas, the various um, ways that they dressed, all of those things are different, are a, are a part of that time frame, that society that, that they lived in. So really to come to a, a, a deeper understanding of David's time frame, David's uh, rulership and all of that in the, in the promised land, you would have to really um, go back and, 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 and dig into to all of the different things that uh, that time period uh, was like and how it was like to live in that time frame. Men and women were different. I mean, they, they, they treated women differently than they do today. We, we find that out in the Bible. And yet they accepted it, they lived in it, they lived with it. Um, probably none of the women in this, this time frame would ever want to put up with what David and them did. So, understand that. That it was a different time and a different um, part of history. Okay, the first time that David appears in history at once admits us that the whole family circle, the annual sac- sacrificial feast, is being held when Samuel appears, sent by God to anoint one of Jesse's sons as they pass before him. in First uh, Samuel 16 and 6 through 10. I've got that one up here. And I'm going to just read it right out of, um, right off of my uh, e because I can just click on it and it comes right up. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on uh, Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look, not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. And that's very important because Samuel probably would not have selected David if it was just a matter of randomly selecting somebody. Because I have refused him, for the Lord sees, not as the man sees. For the man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made uh, Shemiah to pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this. And again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Samuel sends for the youngest David, who was keeping the sheep and anoints him. That's eleven through thirteen, or second or first Samuel sixteen. Samuel said unto Jesse, Are there <laughs> are all your children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he keeps the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we'll not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy, and withal a well, beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. From that day forward, so Samuel rose up and went to Ramia. So we see that at that time, David also received God's spirit. And so that also helped David during the many trials that he was going to go through. As David stood before Samuel, we were enabled to fix his appearance at once in our minds. He was of a short stature with red and auburn hair such as was not unfrequently seen in this countrymen of, of the East at the present day. In later life, he wore a beard. His bright eyes were specifically mentioned in uh, 1 Samuel 16:12, And generally, he was remarkable for the grace of his figure and countenance, fair eyes, calmly, humbly, uh, and, and goodly. And you can look through all those. Well made and of immense strength and agility, his swiftness, and activity made him like a wild gazelle, his feet like hart's feet, and his arms strong enough to break a bow of steel. And were, also, their men were totally different back then. They had to walk, they had to do physical labor, they had to do physical things, and so they tend to, tend to be um, pretty strong. After the anointing, David resumes his accustomed duties, and the next we know of him... He summoned to the court to chase away the king's madness by music because we find out that God is very displeased with Saul, takes his spirit off of him and actually gives him a troubling spirit. In 1 Samuel sixteen fourteen through 19, But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubles you. Let our Lord now command your servants which are before you to seek out a man who is cunning player of, on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon you that he shall play with his hand, and you shall be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. And then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a, young, uh, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, in cunning, uh, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty and valiant man, and a man of war, and a prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, "Send me David, your son, which is with the sheep." And so we see, uh, and that was First uh, Samuel 17. Um, no, that was First uh, Samuel uh, um, 16 through 14 through 19. OK, after this, um, and in the successful effort of, of David's harp, we have the first glimpse into the genius for music and poetry, which was af- afterwards consecrated in the Psalms. So David had a lot of talent. He was a talented individual. He was able to, to write music, and he was able to also write it poetically. And I think of all the, the versions that I've read of the Psalms, I still think the King James version is some of the best uh, translations of that, and seems to flow so well in, in the Psalms that that are there and that, that David has uh, preserved for us, and others that are in there and preserved. It's, it is a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful book with a lot of wonderful things in it that uh, have been preserved. After this, he returned to old shepherd life again. One incident along his uh, solitary shepherd life has come to us. His conflict with a lion and a bear in defense of his father's flocks. And uh, you'll find that in 1 Samuel 17, uh, 34 through 35. David he said unto Saul, uh, Your servant kept his father's sheep. And there was a lion and a bear and, and took a, a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him. And I smote him. And I delivered it out of the, his mouth. And when he arose again against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Now, how many of us are going to catch a bear by the beard and pop him in the nose? <laughs> uh, David was quite an individual. Quite an individual. And some years after this, David suddenly appears before his brothers in the camp of the army. And here's the defiant challenge of the Philistine giant Goliath with his shepherd's sling and five small pebbles he goes forth and defeats the giant. And as uh, Lawrence has said more than once the first pebble was for that giant the other four pebbles were for the other four his brothers. I mean he had brothers. Well, there were actually five of the Goliath Callahan and David was ready for him. Of course God blessed him and Smote that one. We now enter a new aspect of David's life. The victory over Goliath had been a turning point in his career. Saul inquired of his parentage and took him finally to his court. Jonathan was inspired by the romantic uh, friendship which bound the two youths together um, to the end of their lives. Unfortunately, David's fame provided the foundation of an unhappy jealousy of Saul towards him which mingling with the, the king's constitutional malady uh, can uh, poison his whole future relations to David. His position in Saul's court seems to have been first armor-bearer, and you can, I don't know if I've got any of these. I think, just look these up, 1 Samuel 16, 21, 1 Samuel eighteen two, and then Captain Over a Thousand, 1 Samuel eighteen thirteen, And finally, on his marriage with Michael, that's uh, the, the king's second daughter, He was raised to the high office of captain of the king's bodyguard, second only, if not equal, to Abner, the captain of the host, and Jonathan, the heir apparent. David was not chiefly known for his successful exploits against the Philistines, by one of which he won his wife and drove back the Philistine power with a blow from which it only rallied at the disastrous close of Saul's reign. He also still performed from time to time the office of a minstrel. But the successive attempts of Saul upon his life convinced him that he was in constant danger. And that's one of the more interesting aspects of, of David's life. I mean, he really literally had to hide and, and, and keep from getting um, killed by the king, Saul. He had two faithful allies at the time, however, in the court. The son of Saul, his friend Jonathan, and the daughter of Saul, his wife Michael. Michael, Michael, I don't know, how you, I, I'm just going to call it Michael, no matter whether that's the way you pronounce it or not. Warned by one, assisted by the other, he escaped by night and was from, uh, from thence forward a fugitive. He at first found a home in the court of Achish among the Philistines, but his stay was short. Discovered possibly by the sword of Goliath, his presence revived the national enmity of the Philistines against their former conqueror, and he only escaped by feigning madness You can look at that one in 1 Samuel, the 21st chapter, verse 13. His first uh, retreat was the cave of uh, Adullam. In its vicinity, he was joined with his whole family, that's 1 Samuel 22, verse 1, and by a motley crowd of debtors and uh, discontented men, 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, which formed the nucleus of his army. David's life for the next few years was made up of a succession of startling incidents, He's, he secures an important ally in, in Bia, at Abiathar in 1 Samuel 23, 6. His band of 400 at uh, Adullam soon increased to 600. He is hunted by Saul from place to place like a partridge. And he marries Abigail and uh, Ahinoam. So, he, he has more than one wife now. So, we see that as part of... Um, the situation. Finally comes the news of the Battle of Gilboa and the death of Saul and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 31. The reception of the tidings of the death of his rival and of his friend and the solemn mourning and the event of his indignation against the bearer of the message and the pathetic lamentation that followed will close the second period of David's life. As king of Judah in Hebron, seven and a half years. So you can find that in 2 Samuel 2, verse 1. In 2 Samuel 5, verse 2. Here David was first formally anointed king, 2 Samuel 2, 4, uh, to Judah. His dominion was normally uh, nominally confined. Gradually, his power increased, and during the two years which followed the elevation of Ishbosheth, a series of skirmishes took place between the two kingdoms. Then, rapidly followed the succession of murders of uh, Abner and Ishbosheth. And you can see those in 2 Samuel 3:30 and 2 Samuel 4, 5. The throne so long waited for him was now vacant, and the united voice of the whole people at once called him to occupy it for the third time. David was anointed king, and a festival of three days celebrated a joyful event, 1 Chronicles 12:39. One of David's first acts was become, uh, becoming king was to secure Jerusalem, which he seized from the Jebusites and fixed the royal residence there, Fortifications were added by the king and by Joab, and was known for the special name by the city of David um, 2 Samuel 5 9 and 1 Chronicles 11 7. The ark, now removed from its occu- uh, obscurity at Keith Jerim, was marked solemnity uh, Solim- uh, Solim- uh, and conveyed to Jerusalem. The erection of the new capital at Jerusalem introduces us to a new era in David's life and the history. Of the monarchy. He became a king on the scale of the great Oriental sovereigns of Egypt and Persia, with a regular administration, an organization of the court, and a camp. And he also founded an imperial dominion, which for the first time realized prophetic descriptions of the bounds uh, of, of the chosen people. And you can read that in Genesis 15 18 through 21. During the succeeding ten years, the nations bordering on the kingdom caused David more or less trouble. But during this time, he reduced to a state of permanent subjection. The Philistines on the west, the Moabites on the east, and by the exploits of Benaniah, the Syrians on the northeast as far as the Euphrates, the Edomites on the south, and finally the Amorites, who had broken their ancient alliance and made one grand resistance to the advance of his empire. Sounds like modern Israel today, doesn't it? (laughs) You got all of these armies surrounding them, and they, they all hate Israel. And the same thing there, they all hated, they all hated David. Three great calamities may be selected as marking the beginning, and the middle, and the close of David's otherwise prosperous reign, which appear to be intimated, uh, intimated in the question of Gad: a three years famine, three months flight, or three days pestilence. Now these three. The first three years, famine introduces us to the last notices of David's revelation. Relations with the house of Saul already inferred, and then um, I'm going to skip down here. Um, I missed. I missed something. That I... Okay, I didn't miss it. Um, of these the first three. Uh, The three years famine introduces us to the last notices of David's relation with the house of Saul, already referred to. The second great group of incidents contains the tragedy of David's life, which grew in all its parts out of the polygamy, with its evil consequences into which he had plunged on becoming king. Underneath the splendor of his last glorious campaign against the Amorites was a dark story known probably at that time to only a very few. The double crime of adultery with Bathsheba and the virtual murder of Uriah. And that's where I want to focus on today um, because I th- it definitely was a-, a turning point in David's life and also brought about one of the most profound psalms in the scriptures. And of course, we know which one that is. It's Psalm 51. But to really understand what he had done in the situation that he had. Remember now, the times were different. Situations were different. Um, the, um, the power that David held was absolute. I mean, he could tell somebody to go out and kill somebody, and for the most part, he could, you know. And they, they had armies that were out fighting in different uh, areas. He was a powerful individual. And he thought he was going to get away with it. But there was one individual that he couldn't hide from. Well, let's pick it up now in 2 Samuel the 11th chapter. I think all of us are are pretty familiar with it, but let's go back. Let's look at the situation. Let's... Think about the times that that it was. Let's think about what David was doing. Let's think about the Ten Commandments. Let's think about the fact that all the kings, especially I'm sure David did, had to write themselves a book of the first five books. They had to have the Torah. They had to write it out. They had to write it by hand. And they probably wrote it in some you know Hebrew or, <laughs> or something i 'm not, uh, not sure how the, what what form it was in, but they had to write it out, so he knew it was not like he was coming into this blind he was trying to get away with it. It came to pass verse one of chapter eleven after the year it was expired at the time when the kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the children of Am- Ammon and besieged uh, Rebath, Rebath. But David tarried still in Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Remember, David already had a a harem of wives, of women. So this, this woman was... Exceptional. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? The wife of Uriah the Hittite. They told him who she was and what her relations were. David sent uh, messengers and took her. And she came unto him and he lay with her for she was purified from uncleanness. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived and, sent, and told David and said, I am with child. And then David said to Joab, uh-oh, I've got a problem. <laughs> Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the world prospered. Nice conversation. David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And, departed, and David and Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah, Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and went out down to, to his house. But David was trying to fix this problem. He was trying to fix this problem. And when they have told David, saying Uriah went not down into the house, David said unto Uriah, Came you not from your journey? Why, why didn't you go to your, down to your house? And Uriah said unto David, The Ar and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and drink? I with my wife? If you live as I, your soul lives. I will not do this thing. Wow, Uriah was extremely honorable. And David said to Uriah, "Tarry today. Tarry here today, also, and tomorrow, and I will let you depart." So Uriah abode, abode in Jerusalem that day, and the morrow. And David had called him, and he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drink drunk, and even he went out to, to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord that went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set you, Uriah, in the forefront of the battle and, uh, and retire you from him that he may be smitten and die." <laughs> what an interesting situation. It came to pass that when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto the place where he had knew that it was valid men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people and the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. And Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. And charged the messenger saying, when you have made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king and so be that the king's wrath arise and he say unto you, Wherefore approached you so nigh into the city uh, when you did fight? Knew you not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of uh, Jerob, um, whatever, Uh, (laughs) Jerob, Besseth? Did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why went you nigh to the wall? Then say you, your servant Uriah. The Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent to him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us, came out with us into the field, and we were upon them, even into the entering the gate. And the shooters shot from the wall upon thy nice servants, and some of the king's servants be dead. And your servant Uriah Hittite is dead also. And David said unto the messenger, Thus shall you say to, unto Joab, Let not this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle more strong against the city and overthrow it. Encourage you him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the morning was past, David sent fetched her to his house, and she became his wife, and he bare him his son. But the thing that David had done, guess what? Displeased the Lord. So there was one watching... One very powerful one was watching. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said, There were two men in one city, and the one was rich, and the other was poor, and the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew together with him and with his children, and did eat his own meat and drank his own uh, cup and lay in his bosom and was with It was unto him as a daughter. Oh, oh, this wonderful story. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his his own flock and his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. David knew how to make a judgment, didn't he? Uh, this, is, this is terrible. He's taken that lamb and, and uh, this, this poor man's lamb and that guy shall die. And he shall surely restore the, the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your bosom, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had not had been too little, I would, have moreover, have given you, you such and such things. It was open. He could have, you know, he would have given him anything. David took advantage and sinned. Wherefore have you despised the commandment of the Lord? To do evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite. With the sword. Have taken his wife to be your wife. Have slain him with the sword. Of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. And this is where a lot of David's troubles and things happened, Because from there on. he, He was battling different armies. Um. And different things. And yet there were some good times too within this. But from from there on the sword shall not depart from your house. Because you have despised me. Have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. uh, um, I will rise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes. And give him unto your strength and thy strength neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. If you go back and you look at the the, the commandments, these were command these These two sins were sins that received the death penalty. There was no sacrifice. He could not sacrifice for these two sins. He had committed adultery, and he had had someone murdered, just the same as if he had gone out and killed him when he was standing on his porch. He had no defense. And yet, there was something about David that the Lord was able to see that maybe you and I, if we were to judge, probably would not be able to see that because we would say, well, here we have a ruler who took advantage of his rulership, stole the woman from our husband, had him killed, and took the woman to his wife. How Because by this deed, you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that was born unto you shall surely die. And so David goes, and I won't take it any further than that, but David goes and he fasts and prays for that child. but The child dies. And it's interesting that to, 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 to the woman, Bathsheba, that she bore the next king. All of those others that were in there, Bathsheba bore Solomon who would be the next king who God was very pleased with until polygamy got to him also and split the kingdom well I want to leave it with this because the most powerful psalm and you can read through it I may cover it next time or I may cover it sometime or someone may cover it I don't know but it's Psalm 51. We've sung it at the Passover service. It's a very powerful psalm. But you know from where David was coming from. And you know that God saw in his heart. And you know that from that perspective, God, uh, David wrote this psalm for all ages. Our sins are kind of hidden, except for God. David's sin has been published for thousands of years. <laughs> for everyone. And I'm wondering when he comes, he comes up in the kingdom and Bathsheba with him, he's going he's to have a lot of questions to answer, I think. Unless it will all be forgiven and forgotten. And that may be. And he says in this first verse, and I think this is so profound. Because I want you to, to concentrate on this first verse. Understanding what he had done and all the things, and he's, he's, he's fasting and he's praying and he's asking God, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender, tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Can you see him? On his knees, or maybe even on his, falling on his face, and praying this to God, and asking these things to wash him, to cleanse him, to give him a clean spirit. I've always said that if there's a really deep sin or something that you would really want to get over and really have a, a cleansing about it, this is the psalm to pray to God really is. It's so profound. It's such a powerful song. Maybe next time, Psalm 51.